purpose. Abigan took hold of the door handle and bowed his head. He was evidently hesitating and did not know what to do, whether to go away or to continue entreating the doctor. Listen, he said fervently, catching hold of Kirilov's sleeve. I well understand your position. God is my witness that I am ashamed of attempting at such a moment to intrude on your attention. But what am I to do? Only think, to whom can I go? There is no other doctor here, you know. For God's sake, come. I am not asking you for myself. I am not the patient. A silence followed. Kirilov turned his back on Abigan, stood still a moment, and slowly walked into the drawing room. Judging from his unsteady mechanical step, from the attention with which he set straight the fluffy shade on the unlighted lamp in the drawing room, and glanced into a thick book lying on the table, at that instant he had no intention, no desire, was thinking of nothing, and most likely did not remember that there was a stranger in the entry. The twilight and stillness of the drawing room seemed to increase his numbness. Going out of the drawing room into his study, he raised his right foot higher than was necessary and felt for the doorposts with his hands, and as he did so there was an air of perplexity about his whole figure, as though he were in somebody else's house or were drunk for the first time in his life and were now abandoning himself with surprise to the new sensation. A broad streak of light stretched across the bookcase on one wall of the study. This light came together with the close, heavy smell of carbolic and ether from the door into the bedroom, which stood a little way open. The doctor sank into a low chair in front of the table. For a minute, he stared drowsily at his books, which lay with the light on them, then got up and went into the bedroom. Here in the bedroom reigned a dead silence. Everything to the smallest detail was eloquent of the storm that had been passed through, of exhaustion, and everything was at rest. A candle, standing among a crowd of bottles, boxes, and pots on a stool, and a big lamp on the chest of drawers, threw a brilliant light over all the room. On the bed under the window lay a boy with open eyes and a look of wonder on his face. He did not move, but his open eyes seemed every moment growing darker and sinking further into his head. The mother was kneeling by the bed with her arms on his body and her head hidden in the bedclothes. Like the child, she did not stir, but what throbbing life was suggested in the curves of her body and in her arms. She leaned against the bed with all her being, pressed against it greedily with all her might, as though she were afraid of disturbing the peaceful and comfortable attitude she had found at last for her exhausted body. The bedclothes, the rags and bowls, the splashes of water on the floor, the little paintbrushes and spoons thrown down here and there, the white bottle of lime water, the very air, heavy and stifling, were all hushed 
and seemed plunged in repose. The doctor stopped close to his wife, thrust his hands in his trouser pockets, and slanting his head on one side fixed his eyes on his son. His face bore an expression of indifference, and only from the drops that glittered on his beard it could be seen that he had just been crying. That repellent horror which is thought of when we speak of death was absent from the room. In the numbness of everything, in the mother's attitude, in the indifference on the doctor's face, there was something that attracted and touched the heart, that subtle, almost elusive beauty of human sorrow which men will not for a long time learn to understand and describe, and which it seems only music can convey. There was a feeling of beauty, too, in the art.